Hello, and welcome to Exploring Comics, a podcast about webcomics, indie comics, and the people who love them. I'm your host, Tim McLaughlin. This week, I'm getting a crash course on the magical girl genre. But first, some news. Voting for the Eisner Awards is open until midnight on June 16th. It turns out that if you make comics of any kind, including webcomics, you're eligible to vote in them. There are 30 categories, and you don't have to vote in all of them, but I advise taking a moment to look over the list for anything you haven't read yet before getting too deep into it. There are a couple things I want to tell you about going on over at Start Fair. One is the Comic Tea Party. This thing is pretty cool. Basically, participants are given a comic to read, and on Thursdays, they get together on a Discord channel and discuss it. It's kind of like one of those book circle groups you see on TV sitcoms that's always reading something with Oprah's sticker on the front, except it's for webcomics, and I'm pretty sure it's a more enjoyable experience. Comic Tea Party has a reserved channel on the Start Fair Discord server, and they've recently created a Twitter for it. I'll include the link for that on the website. The other thing is that the June edition of the Start Fair magazine was released either today or yesterday. Excuse the vagueness, please. I had to record this on Tuesday because of a throat surgery this week. Anyway, you should be checking that magazine out if you aren't already. Partly because there are some great comics there to check out, and partly because they offer free ad space to comics and comic-related media, which you may want to take advantage of. But also, it means that between the included stories, you can find great stuff to check out that you may not find advertised anywhere else. On top of this, however, you may find something new in the magazine this month, which is this podcast. Startfair and I have reached an agreement where the monthly panels of Exploring Comics will actually be embedded into the issue immediately following the panel's release, and I'll have a space reserved on each panel for someone from their team. Now, I know this may sound a bit odd, since the monthly panel episode will be appearing in the magazine anywhere from a day to a week after it appears on the podcast, so one way that's being addressed is that Startfair version of the panel is a little longer than the published version on my site. This month, I believe it's a 10-minute difference. Not as long as the patron version, but a little something extra to encourage you to go check it out there, even if you've already heard it elsewhere. Finally, there may be some changes coming in the future with Exploring Comics. Namely, this fall I'll be going back to school, which will limit the time I have to focus on the podcast. I'm looking at my options to ensure that the show doesn't actually suffer during this time, and one of them would be to recruit someone else to actually handle the editing of the episodes, as that's a major chunk of the time I spend on it. I haven't begun searching in earnest yet because, as stated, I'm looking at my options. But if you or someone you know is able and interested, drop me a line. Let's see if we can work something out. Links to all these things, as well as things discussed in the interview, will be available on my website, temclaughlin.com. Today's guest goes by Rinkel, and she makes the webcomic Xenobiosis. Enjoy! So welcome to the show. Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. So why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself, let people know who you are, what you do, where they can find what you do. Okay. So my name is Rinkel, on the internet anyway. Um, I write and draw the webcomic Xenobiosis, and you can find me on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook under the uh, user handle Kelvers. Right. Awesome. And Xenobiosis is... A magical girl comic? 
sort of. I I market it as a fantasy adventure comic because it's not really a typical magical girl comic. There are some aspects from the mag- magical girl genre that I've tried to incorporate into it, but it's not along the lines of like Sailor Moon or Madoka Magica or anything like that. Now, for someone like me who never got into it, what kind, what kind of is the magical girl standard thing? <laughs> okay, well, in a nutshell, magical girls are girls somewhere usually between the ages of, I think, 12 or 14 up through like 16, 17 years old who run into this little cute mascot character and they're given this item and the item allows them to transform into magical girls and it basically gives them a magical abilities and this really impractical but really cute outfits and weapons and they have to go around and accomplish either gathering you know these magic items or defeating enemies or saving the world huh aside from the oddly specific details on like the the mascot uh it sounds pretty similar to like a superhero alter ego type of story what's is is that like way off base or is no i think there are a lot of similar elements between the two but magical girls are aimed more at young you know school girls and they're generally like lighter I guess is a good way to put it in the beginning. It's a lot of the ones I've read over the years start out with these, you know, girls in like middle school or early high school, and then they get their powers and they have to just go around defeating, you know, monsters of the week or go around collecting magic items. And it's not really super serious, you know, plot heavy stuff. You said that yours is not a standard, but it borrows from borrows elements from that. What? What's kind of the similarities and differences there? Okay, well, similarities are that um, Lilith, the main character, uh, she does have a magical transformation where she gets this frilly, fancy outfit and, you know, these special powers. But what's different from normal magical girl media is that it's not an every episode or, you know, every chapter occurrence. It only happens once in a while. It's not like she needs to transform and use her special powers to accomplish the goal in a given uh, episode or chapter. So the outfits are apparently a big deal. Yeah. Yes, they kind of are. The way I think about them is they're like a form of like magic armor. Because for the most part in uh, Magical Girl anime, the girls don't really suffer a lot of physical injuries when they're transformed compared to when they're just, you know, normal human beings. So how long have you been, like, how long has this been a thing that's been kind of influencing you? Um, Let's see. Sailor Moon came out in the early 90s. So, like, from 1996 onward, <laughs> basically. <laughs> I guess, I don't know, probably not that early. I think the first time I saw Sailor Moon on TV, I was like eight or nine years old. And uh, I'm 24 now, so definitely most of my life has been influenced by magical girls. What other comics do you see kicking around? You, you mentioned that you're starting to see more of it arrive in the West, and obviously there's some of it still coming out of Japan. What types of... like? What are some examples, what are some good comics that people could look up to to get a good sense of this? Or if they're into um, it already. 
Well, Sailor Moon is a good one, obviously. They just finished reprinting all of the comics uh, with updated translations and all that a few years ago for one of the Sailor Moon. I think it was the 20th anniversary because we're in the 25th anniversary this year. Uh, so that's out, and but you could just buy that at like your local you know, Barnes and Noble or order it. And that's pretty easily accessible. And then there was also um, a series called Witch that I read when I was growing up. It was by, I think, either French or Italian artists. Um, and it was about these girls that got these magic powers that turned them into quote unquote witches. Uh, and they went around saving this alternate world instead of the real world. As far as I read, there was a lot of different like story arcs in that series and i only got through like one of them and then um there's a uh, puella magi madoka magica which is one of like the you know big magical girl series out there now it's really popular like everywhere basically and uh, you can watch that one on netflix so it's really unconventional it's you know considered like a deconstruction of the uh, magical girl genre but it's still really interesting, and it's really easily accessible. So I would recommend that one to people. Huh. Are there any like um, like web comics or indie type of stuff doing it that stand out to you? Uh, there's one. There's a uh, Sleepless Domain, which is published by um, uh, Hiveworks. It's a magical girl series, but it's slightly unconventional too in that it deals with a lot more darker aspects of magical girls and it deals with you know like death and you know like ptsd after battles and you know losing your friends in battle and them not being brought back to life because of magic now about xenobiosis specifically it sounds i mean the name to me sounds like it's alien <laughs> fundamentally it's yeah i'm glad you picked up on that like, let's talk a little bit about, about that comic specifically. Is that an accurate read of that then? Yeah, well, I mean, the planet that the comic takes place on is not Earth. It's a different planet, so there definitely is a sci-fi aspect to everything. And the actual definition of the word xenobiosis will be relevant at some point in the future. It's just that when I was, like, 14, first coming up with the idea, I was looking for words that would, like, describe, like, the core of the story. And just, you know, like a word or two and wouldn't be this big, long phrase. And I came across that one and I'm all like, that sounds cool. I'm going to pick that. And I just haven't changed it because I haven't thought of anything better. That's fair. The transformation sequence is another thing that I'm told is very big or that I've like most of what I've seen of Magic Girl stuff is that sequence. Right. Being done yeah. Or parodied or something like that. How do you do you translate that into your comic? Not in Xenobiosis, or at least not yet anyway. Lilith has transformed once, but it was an accident that just happened in this giant explosion of colorful smoke. Hmm. But uh, in other projects, the transformation sequences will probably be a little more detailed than what I've done so far in Xenobiosis. How do you think that would be done? Like, how would one try to go about that? Or can you think of one that, that did do it well that you would you could just because like I, I see it as like this thing where it would either have to be cut very short or take up like four pages right well actually again going back to uh, Sleepless Domain they've actually showed the girls transformations uh, several times already and actually the most recent page has a transformation sequence too but it only takes like six panels I think 
So it can be done in a way that doesn't take up, you know, five pages. If you just like condense it down to like what's necessary, I guess is a good way to put it. Because like in anime, there's a lot of, you know, needless like twirling about and playing with the magical objects and, you know, doing all this fancy extra stuff. Whereas in webcomics, you know, depending how often you update, you don't want to drag out something over, you know, three, four, five pages. So you could easily do in one if you just do your paneling correctly and focus on what you really need to get across to, I guess, save time. It seems very detailed, you know, between the outfits and and the style and all the colors and stuff. (laughs) How do you maintain that? Um, Well, making color palettes and... uh, good like reference images of the outfits really helps i do have to look up reference images a lot for some of my characters because i have a problem with trying to cram a lot of details into my work and there being so many details in the outfits and not drawing them for a long period of time leads me to forget what kind of details there are so having something i can go look up on my computer and be like okay this is how this looks this is what the design is i just transfer it onto whatever page i'm drawing and it makes it a lot easier a lot of that goes into um, the character's personality, too. It tends to have a lot of effect on, like, how ornate the outfit is and, like, what the colors are. Because Magical Girls are usually color-coded. There's, like, a pink one, a blue one, a green one, you know, so on and so forth. So you can help keep track of them all. Oh, okay. Like, a character that's, you know, like, cool and aloof and, like, you know, sophisticated would probably have a more simple outfit compared to a character that's like bubbly and bright and just, you know, hyperactive all over the place. Like her outfit would probably be a bit more crazy in comparison. So it's it's less of a this is an armor that is put upon you and more of a kind of a manifestation of who you are, it sounds like. Yeah. I think it could be a little of both actually. Like it could be like, okay, this is you know gonna help you fight, this will help protect you, but it's also like a reflection of who you are. <laughs> it could it could also be symbolic. There could be like a specific reason for like a color or like why this one character has wings on her outfits and this other one has hearts. And th- there's a lot of layers that can go into making magical girls. Do you use a lot of those on your own projects? Yeah, I do base a lot of my characters' outfits on their personality. And, like, if there's, like, a team of girls or boys, it's not necessarily just girls. There are magical boys in existence, too, just not quite as widespread. Oh, okay. Like, if there's a team, there are usually some unifying elements. Like, the outfit design will be the same, but, like, colors will change and accessories will change. Like, that's what uh, Sailor Moon does. They all have the same basic um, sailor suit outfit, but, like, the colors change and they all have different accessories. Really, like, the sky's the limit when it comes to designing magical girls. Because, I mean, you can do basically, like, anything and get away with it. You said the that there is magical boys, but it's not as popular or as common or something. What's, uh, is it pretty much the same thing? Like, do they end up with the overly ornate outfits and all that stuff? Yeah, or is it more well, like Power Rangers? Well, I have seen one show... So that was those magical boys. It was actually meant to be a parody of magical girl shows. So they did have all like the crazy frilly outfits and the cheesy attack names and all the characters are color coded and they have a cute little mascot. And 
They go around fighting monsters and saving evil after school. The, the mascot seems important. Is yeah, the mascot is pretty important. It's like a companion or a guide. It's basically how a familiar is to like a witch. It helps like with the magic and stuff like that. And the mascot is, well, one, it's for, you know, marketing mar- merchandise and, you know, well, buy the mascot. Right. Maybe you'll get magic powers too. <laughs> sort of thing but it also like acts as like a guide and like it helps train the girls in the beginning gives them advice and you know tells them like what attacks to use and uh, gives them their magical items and you know they become friends and they care about each other this actually one thing it's reminding me of is an anime that I did watch for a bit called Bleach where Ichigo the main character he ends up like, I don't know, stumbling across some situation. I actually never saw the very first episode. I only, I always started at the second for some strange reason. And so I don't know how he acquired it, <laughs> but he ended up like with this ability to become a Reaper. And it was, you know, he would go through this transformation and he had like this black gi type based outfit on. And this magic weapon, and there was like this soul stone that had put put in a teddy bear, and so you had this teddy bear running around, smart mouthing him the whole time. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> now that you're talking about, it, I think that might have been a magical boy story. I mean, it could be. I mean, it, there are definitely a lot of ways to interpret the magical girl genre, and there's a lot you can do with it. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know preteen girls running around in ridiculous outfits fighting evil. There was actually one thing I did want to ask you about was whether this was a genre or a trope because I've seen it treated as both. I think you should treat it first as a genre and then as a trope because there are a lot of tropey things about you know like the main character is always pink you know she's bubbly she's bright she's bad at school she's an airhead like the blue girl is always smart and intelligent uh the purple one is always cool and mysterious and difficult to approach and but i think you get a better understanding of the tropes if you understand the genre first why why the bad to school thing though like that that was the one that's just struck me when you were saying it wait wait what like out of everything oh. in it, that was the one that sounded odd to me. And I think that became a thing after Sailor Moon started taking off because the main character Usagi, uh, she's really like airheaded and she's just bad at school and stuff. And part of her character development is like she grows out of that. Like she becomes, she stops being a crybaby. She becomes more reliable. She's able to pass, you know, her high school entrance exams and get into high school despite having all these bad grades at the beginning of the show. And everyone else just kind of started piggybacking off of Sailor Moon. And and now we have the massive army of frilly pink airheads running around (laughs) fighting evil. Now, is there... Because it, it's magic. A lot of it that I've seen seems to be space-based. Like, you know, Sailor Moon is all the planets. And I don't know if there's astrology or astronomy or what. But, you know, they have the, the planets. And then, you know, we talked about how Xenobiosis seems to have some alien implications and does take place on another planet. And, and stuff like that. Is this... Like, at what point does it... 
sci-fi and, and fantasy is slightly blurry anyway. Mm-hmm. But where, at what point does it kind of stop being magic, or is it kind of always magic? I think it can stop being magic when you start applying logic to it. Like, the, you know, this is how, you know, this happens. These are the reasons why this is what causes this particular effect. Like, once you tra- start trying to put science behind it, I think is when the distinction between sci-fi and fantasy starts to become more distinct. With fantasy, you just sort of, like, accept that, you know, like, oh, this is how it is. This is how it's always been, you know, no big deal. But with sci-fi, there's more of, like, okay, we want to know why. We need – science is about learning. We want to learn why things are the way they are. And within Magical Girl stuff itself, then, is it is it always kind of fall on the fantasy side, then, even when there are sci-fi elements? Or can it be a Magical Girl story where everything is explained? I personally haven't come across any magical girl shows with like super heavy sci-fi implication. There's only been one that I've seen that I can really say is more of a sci-fi magical girl show. But I think the vast majority of them do fall under the uh, fantasy category because there's just no explanation for any of the supernatural things happening. No one's be like, oh, why? You know, how do I generate this magical attack? Well, they're just like, oh, I'm just going to blast the monster with my super beam or whatever they just accept it as normal they don't question it that seems odd when like you said there's a whole color devoted to the bookish like researcher type of person yeah i mean i've never actually seen any character regardless of like their color coding or their character type question like how they're able to do all this stuff, it's just all explained away as magic in, you know, that particular, you know, show or comics universe. That should be the next subversive thing. <laughs> <laughs> magic or science, you decide. Yes. You, get, you get the one blue magical girl that just decides she's going to understand the whole thing. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> I would love to see that. <laughs> I, I would write it, but I can't even begin <laughs> to figure out how I would do that. <laughs> I want to say that I could, but they would just go back into my archive of comics that I'm not going to get around to drawing until I'm 50. I guess this is on the listeners then. If you're listening to this, you now have a mission. <laughs> it's your duty. It is, it is a sacred right. <laughs> You've inherited it. We need you My uh, to explain this. The Exploring Comics like little Voyager mascot can be your mascot. Just go do it. <laughs> I mean, I think that could be a really interesting uh, premise for a comic is a character trying to figure out, like, why all this magic exists and, like, how they're able to do all this, you know, magical, you know, transformations and, like, you know, where do the outfits come from? Where do the items come from? Where do we get our power from? Right, because it isn't usually, like, a normal part of their lives. Like, they don't just live in a place where wizards are walking around their school, right? No, exactly. Yeah, that's it. They're... Most of the stuff I've seen takes place, you know, on Earth, you know, in or around, you know, the modern day. So we don't have, you know, wizards wandering around and witches flying across the sky. It's magic isn't really a thing in these universes, and no one questions it at all when magic be- starts to become a thing. And they're all just like, oh, okay, thanks for saving me. <laughs> I guess this is a thing now. So, yeah, it's just, that's uh, okay. That's just how it's going to be now, I guess. 
man. Everyone's very complacent in these universes. There's, there's, I mean, everyone's complacent in superhero universes too, though. I mean, like you'll have the crowds that are protesting mutants, but by and large, like you never see, you almost never see the stories of like the people asking their insurance agent, whether or not Thor counts in terms (laughs) of acts of God. You know. Right, like, am I going to be compensated for this car that the Hulk smashed through, or is, is that not part of my coverage, or, you know, <laughs> city managers that have to deal with rebuilding New York City every couple of months? And... <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know. Like, the fact that they can have comic book universes that last more than a few years and people still live in places like New York City just tells me that they... Right, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't move, honestly. I don't want <laughs> to have my entire apartment demolished every couple of months. <laughs> so so we end up with this big big western thing where everyone's very complacent and then this this big or at least growing japanese thing where everything everyone's very complacent and neither of them makes sense to me <laughs> <laughs> i think that's just become like the standard now is we all just accept that these things happen and no one just no one at all questions it inside or outside the comic universe <laughs> So like, yep, that's just how it is. Just accept it. Go on with your daily lives. Try not to get squashed by falling building pieces. It's fine. <laughs> so they're not they're not frequently dealing with, you know, Tokyo getting leveled every few months. <laughs> it's more of a personal. No, no. Actually, in Magical Girl series, the cities don't really take a lot of damage until, like, the climax of the series. And even then, it's all fixed in the end by magic. So I'm sure those city managers have it a lot easier than the ones in New York. Yes. I that sounds like a much better deal. Like you could almost you can almost be in a magical girl universe and just kind of watch it amusedly. Yeah, I mean like there's a chance that you might become like an evil minion for a while or you know, you might die, but it's going to be okay in the end because the magic suit's going to fix everything and return the city to normal and everyone's going to come back to life and everything will be fine and dandy. I like that. We need to talk more of that. If Batman can go unaging for 70 years, I think we can stay. <laughs> we can save the city at least once. Just one time. Just one time. That's all we're asking. So did you have any like final thoughts or plugs or anything you'd like to say about Magical Girls or related material? Tips for <laughs> people who make the subversive comic we directed them to make? <laughs> tips uh, color coding helps it's way overdone but it does help and you don't have to stick to just the primary colors of pink blue and yellow that drives that honestly drives me crazy when i start a new magical girl series and there's a pink girl a blue girl and a yellow girl and that's it if you're doing a magical girl story and you're doing teams it helps to have a unifying element to the outfit so people know that they're a team whether it's like a symbol or like some sort of accessory or like the design of like the dress or whatever they don't necessarily need to be dresses either they can be you know tops and skirts they can have pants they could be shorts any whatever you want the sky's the limit you know i think that's it all right i don't really i'm not thinking of anything else at the time so all right that's fair. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you again for having me. It was a lot of fun.